Welcome to the RX for Biotech podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lively. I'm excited to be in Carlsbad, California for the Cell and Gene meeting on the Mesa. The meeting is the Cell and Gene Therapy Sector's premier annual conference, bringing together senior executives and top decision makers in the cell and gene industry, where they discuss and tackle the commercialization hurdles facing cell and gene therapy developers today. Many of the hurdles to streamlined, cost-effective manufacture of cell and gene therapy products derive from a lack of standardized methodologies and training around CMC programs. To help address this, the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine published ACEL, a case-based guidebook to help drug developers incorporate quality by design principles into cell-based therapy CMC programs. ACEL builds on previous QBD efforts that were applied to the manufacturing of monoclonal antibodies and vaccines and, and more recently gene therapies, bringing best practices in CMC to a case study of CAR-T therapy manufacturing. So with the support and partnership of ARM, we are conducting a two-part deep dive into the ACEL document as part of a roundtable here at Meeting on the Mesa. The first podcast episode explores quality by design principles and the importance of the quality target product profile. It's my pleasure to host a few guests and contributors to the development of ACEL for this roundtable podcast episode today. So let's get started with some introductions. Rupa, let's start with you. Hello, everyone. My name is Rupa Pike. Nice to be here, Chris. Thank you. My official title at Thermo Fisher Scientific is I am the Senior Director of Technical Affairs for the Advanced Therapies, which sits in the Pharma Services Group. So we are a CDMO organization. I've been in the cell therapy field for over 14 years and worn multiple hats in that space, including leading operations, leading UMSATs, uh, tech transfer, everything in cell therapy related to helping customers and partners, empowering them so that they can directly help their patients, the patients who have no other recourse and who are dependent on experimental therapy. So I'm very passionate about this space. Thank you. Sure. Thank you for joining us. And Bruce, how about um, a quick intro? Hi, everyone. I'm Bruce Thompson. I'm the vice president and technical lead for the cell therapy franchise at Resilience. We are a new company focused on biomanufacturing and cell therapy, gene therapy, and uh, large molecule modalities as well. I'm an immunologist by training. I spent about 10 years in large pharma at Pfizer in analytical and CMC development, and the last seven or eight years uh, in academic science at Fred Hutch, a startup, Lyle Amino Pharma, uh, and Resilience, building their process and analytical development capabilities in the cell therapy space. Very nice to be here today, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Great to have you. And Josephine. Thank you for um, partnering with us and hosting and pulling this roundtable together. Josephine's from the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine. Josephine, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Sure. Hi. Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm Josephine Lambaugh. I'm the manager of science and industry affairs at the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine. I came from a cell therapy um, and tissue engineering background. Um, my experience is mostly in process development and tech transfer. It's very nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, great. So the, the reason we're here today is I know that you've all worked hard uh, and just recently published uh, not too long ago, 
ACEL, which is the case study on quality by design, uh, a guidebook for ARM members who are developing novel cell therapies. So Josephine, I'd like to start with you and ask you, why did the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine undertake this initiative to develop ACEL for developers of cell therapies? Yeah, so for um, for ARM as an advocacy group and as the voice of the cell and gene therapy sector, we work on behalf of our membership to bring these therapies to patients through many initiatives on the manufacturing side, the regulatory um, market access. So on the manufacturing side, it's really critical uh, for us to address the barriers to produce these innovative therapies. And one of the efforts to do that is to establish best practices for the manufacture of cell and gene therapies. Um, and manufacturing, as, as we all know, it's a rate limiting step in the commercialization of these therapies. Um, while the industry is in the process of scaling up, there, um, there are more phase three studies and more commercial product approvals anticipated. Um, but there are products that are being held up at the BLA stage due to CMC issues. Um, and CMC is a very broad and complex topic and has always gained a lot of attention from our member companies. Um, while we see that there are advances that are being made on the you know technology and the experiences in the workforce are improving, but standards and best practices in this field are not advancing as quickly. So this is the pre-competitive area where ARM focuses our efforts in to further advance the uh, the process understanding to facilitate product development. Uh, we we undertook ACEL several years ago after feedback from our members about some of these issues that the field as a whole is experiencing. It occurred to us um, and our members at that time that these issues were not unique to cell and gene therapy. Um, and in fact, some other segments of the biologics industry had gone through similar growing pains before. So there's a similar document called AMAB on monoclonal antibody manufacturing. And this was something that was really instrumental. And one of the things that allowed advances to occur in the monoclonal antibody industry in terms of improving manufacturing quality, optimization, and not to mention to drive down COGS as well. So that was the impetus for ARM to undertake ASOL. Um, it, as you already mentioned, uh, it's a best practices document focused on implementation of quality by design for cell-based therapies and particularly focusing on hypothetical autologous RT product. So Josephine, the, um, the guidebook focuses on immune cell therapies as the case study. Can you talk a little bit about, just provide a little more background on the scope of the document and, and the rationale for the choice to focus on immune cell therapies? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we think that to make ASL an effective resource and reflective of the innovation in the sector, we, we chose to focus on immune cell therapy um, based on the strong performance and the field enthusiasm on the uh, cell-based immune oncology sector um, and a major increase in industry-sponsored clinical trials at, at the time of the writing. And to, to further maximize the utility of the document, we felt that it was necessary to focus on a specific use um, of, of the of the document. So we decided to uh, focus on a CAR-T therapy and in particular an autologous approach given their recent approvals and the number of products that are available to the patients in the market. Great. So jump in. Oh, absolutely. Jump in. Yeah. yeah, I I want to, I want to jump in real quick because I was involved in some really early discussions and it wasn't always an autologous cell therapy. That was the goal for the ACEL project. 
Uh, we looked early at um, mesenchymal stem cells, hematopoietic stem cells, CAR T cells, um, and a few other options. It was eventually decided to be able to make traction and actually provide something that would be uh, relatively beneficial to a wide swath of the cell and gene therapy group to focus on autologous T cell therapies. I remember that exercise. So uh, as you put the book together, I'm sure you all had ideas about how you'd love to see the uh, cell and gene therapy companies adopt and implement the playbook. So what, uh, how should companies be utilizing the playbook? Yeah, I think it will mostly be used to to educate on the basics of CAR-T manufacturing, um, but it will also inform uh, just in general the methods of, of QBD. Um, so we hope that this document will act as a tool for teams to, to communicate with each other. Um, you know, as the industry is growing and many people are coming in rapidly, um, there's a lot of experienced individuals from uh, pharma that are entering the field who may lack the knowledge of particular unique challenges of, of cell therapy or, or CAR-T in particular. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, QBD is one solution to this problem. We hope that this will bridge those groups and uh, as a workforce development tool as well. Uh, I, I want to point out that uh, AGene, which is the sister project to ACEL, um, which describes the best practices of AAV manufacturing, um, is, is already making a, a significant impact as an educational tool in, in universities. So we hope that ACEL will be um, also used as, as a similar tool by product developers, um, educators, and universities. And uh, we also have the aspirational goal that this will be used to help educate regulators. Great. Thanks for that intro into ACEL. And now uh, we're going to go ahead and pivot and, and talk a little bit about something that we're hearing a lot about here in Carlsbad. And, you know, we hear about quality by design, manufacturing by design a lot. So let's start there. And what are the key principles behind the quality by design? And Rupa, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, I always like to tell, you know, people I'm talking to is don't get um, nervous by all of these terminologies. They are important terminologies, but if we break them down, um, we understand that these are the things that we intended to do anyways. The terminologies is kind of the discipline around the things we do. So for QBD, quality by design, it is a systematic and risk-based approach for developing a product. In this case, a cell therapy product that begins with a very, uh, you know, exact predetermined or pre-designed set of outcomes, the basic principle of QBD, as I see it, is that quality should be integral to every manufacturing process. It should be woven in the fabric of the entire manufacturing workflow rather than thinking about it at the end or adjusting it based on the results we get. If we integrate it from the beginning, we can control the results. We can control the manufacturing workflow and everybody wins, right? So that is how I think about quality by design. Bruce, what would you like to add? I think for me, the addition would be around the design space, right? So how much do we understand about the product, the process, and what is our baseline knowledge? One of the things that I often think that QBD can facilitate is to absorb changes that happen in the future. Raw materials change, vendors change, materials change that, that are outside of the innovators sort of purview or capability to impact. 
the more you have an understanding of your design space, the more you can do a risk assessment that makes sense and can rationalize some of these changes um, as development progresses. Just want to ask a follow-up there because many people coming into this CGT space come from traditional pharma backgrounds and they not, may not be as familiar with quality by design. Are we, are we talking about like Six Sigma principles applied to like, you know, design and um, of, of processes and control? Is that what you're, when we talk about quality by design, is that what we're talking about? I, I think that's aspirational, right? So I think that, you know, we'd all love to have control over our cell manufacturing processes to be able to implement lean manufacturing. I think that we are uh, on that path, but we're not there yet. And I think that one of the challenges, and, and I'll just throw out a quick analogy, I liken cell therapy to renewable energy. There's lots of different types of renewable energy. There's solar, there's wind, there's electric, there's um, geothermal, there's all these different flavors. Same is true for cell therapy. There's T cells, B cells, NK cells, there's autologous, there's allogeneic, there's stem cells, there's pluripotency, there's a number of different modalities, each of which has a complication about it. And so to assume that we can apply a one size fits all to that sort of menagerie of products is challenging. But I do think that's the goal, right? The more we can understand about how we make these products and the more we can make them consistently, the closer we get to the lean manufacturing principles. I think that that's a very good point. The other thing is when People look at biologics, monoclonal antibodies, small molecules, solids. Um, They're very different because they are not living therapeutics. You know, living therapeutics comes with its own challenges, as Bruce mentioned. Um, And to overlay the complexity of the behavior of each cell is different. The outcome, what we want as a final product is very different. So, I agree with Bruce. We are not where we need to be in terms of where biologics is, but um, we have, we are very excited because we have seen efficacy, five-year data, um, Emily's story, you know, all of these are, are very powerful because here is, here is a, a, a medicine that one infusion can take the patient in remission. And there's nothing more powerful than that. So it's kind of like we, we focused on the outcome because the patients were serious. And now everybody's thinking about layering on the disciplines that have helped uh, biologics and small molecules and, and other areas. Thanks, Rupa. One area, Bruce, that, you know, the A-cell goes into some detail about is really product character, characterization as well as process characterization. So before we maybe jump into like um, some of the other considerations in the guidebook, can you maybe guide drug developers around what the thinking is and breaking out those two different things? Yeah, it's a challenging question because we often hear in the field that the product is the process um, and, and it is determined by the process. So again, I think this comes down to where are the variables in your process? How do you remove them? The more you can remove the variabilities, the more you can then focus on characterization of the product itself. So I think it's a two, maybe a multi-headed question where you have to bifurcate and say, as I learn more about my process and I characterize my process, I can then bring different tools to bear to then characterize my product. And so the way I typically look at that is there are unit operations that are common among engineered T-cell products, whether it's uh, a car or a TCR. You can start to understand the, the process impacts, the unit operations, 
the ability to understand how a particular closed cell washing unit operation or selection unit operation has commonalities across these different um, products. As you understand that, you can then step back and say, okay, this is a specific learning about the process. And then we can apply new technologies, new analytics to the product, independent of that variability around the process. So it's a difficult answer because it's a difficult question, but I think it's evolving. The more we know about um, the analytical capabilities, uh, the more we can bring to bear to understand the product independent of the process variability. So Rupa, what, what are the key product quality attributes that need to be considered when you, when you link quality and clinical performance for, um, to a novel cell therapy product? That is also another complex question is, as, as uh, the one that, that Bruce answered. So in living therapeutics, the product can be different type of cells, but we have been able to put some rigor and some standardization around it. And it, regardless of any cell therapy in the clinical phase, everybody who is working on the CMC and running clinical trials is thinking about some standard quality attributes, right? Which is safety, identity, purity and impurity and potency. And I think regardless of what cell types, just as Bruce had mentioned, NK cells are different than MSCs, T cells are a little bit different than NK cells, but we can standardize them by saying the product must be safe because it is going in vivo. The product must be efficacious. Otherwise, it's not going to treat the disease. We don't want less than a certain percent, more than a certain percent impurities. So purity has to be at X percent, impurities at, at Y percent for the product to be efficacious and to not have adverse effects. And then most importantly, the potency of the product is, for example, um, liquid tumors require different attributes for the product. Solid tumors require a very different attribute. For solid tumors, the cells that you are uh, infusing or delivering into the patient have to be able to attack and traverse the hostile tumor microenvironment in order to get to cancer cells, which are protected by this hostile tumor microenvironment. So the, uh, the attributes of the product, even though you can standardize them or bucket them, they are really, I feel, controlled by the areas of therapy that you're addressing. And so, yes, there are some quality attributes that will be common, but then potency might be different for different products based on what you're treating. Well, when we look at a cell, there's actually a number of sections that talk about phase appropriate evolution of the QTPP. I think many of us in the industry know what a TPP is or target product profile, but Bruce, maybe if you could, uh, give a brief overview. What are the components of a QTPP and how does that fit into the quality by design approach? Yeah. So, so chapter three of ASL walks through a lot of the components and I'm not going to rehash that, but I approach this often as a dialogue. And one question is um, we have companies that'll come to us and ask, we have this fantastic binder, but we don't know what to do with it. So then the dialogue ensues. What is your indication? What is your modality? Is it a CAR TCR? 
Is it a liquid tumor, solid tumor? So indication is important because that informs a lot of downstream activities. Dose is important because that'll inform your manufacturing unit operation for expansion. Do you need to dose 100 million cells or do you need to dose 100 billion cells? That has a large impact on your target product profile. The Q and QTPP really are your CMC quality elements that need to be driven forward. Your target product profile includes things outside of the manufacturing arena around your clinical utilization, around the um, indication, around the potential for autologous versus aloe, really depending again on how you're using that product. So when we think about QTPP, it's really the, the components of that overall drug profile that are specific, in my opinion, to the quality CMC areas. So then you get into things like purity, potency, strength, um, safety, uh, contaminations, et cetera. Again, we're talking about phase appropriate evolution of the QTPP. So Rupa, maybe if you could uh, address in what part of the drug development process should the QTPP be developed? When, um, when should that start? That is a good question. And I think there are two schools of thoughts on this question. There are uh, people who sit on the quality side and regulatory side that have a little bit different opinion. And then there are people who are actually building the process and understand the complexities of the process, have a little bit of a different take. The goal of everybody is to make a safe and efficacious product. I, I do want to say that off the bat, but um, I think that there is a school of thought that believes that all of the discipline should be built in right from the get-go. Um, and those are people who may have simpler processes or linear processes, but then there are, there are folks who are, are manufacturing two couple different cells from the same apheresis material, putting the cells together or making cell A, cell type A do cell type, some activate cell type B. And those are folks that are saying that we can be a little bit lenient in phase one start building the discipline in phase two, and then really go to town in phase three. So I feel like everybody has to decide based on how complex their process is, where they are in their journey, and what gives them the success without having to go back to the drawing board without having to talk to the regulatory agency to put their clinical trials on hold because something isn't working and then not be slaves to change control. Right. So I feel like those, there are two buckets. The goal is the same, but maybe it's very process dependent. And I would like for Bruce to also address that because he has a lot of experience in that space. Yeah. Th thanks Ruba. I think, the evolution is interesting, right? Because if you think of many of these programs, they're very innovative. They're coming from our academic institutions. They may have lots of um, attributes that are considered important. The distribution of various populations of cells within the final product. As we get more experience in later development, we can remove some of those variables. We can tighten the quality attributes because we understand the product better, and that can inform our quality target product profile so that we can begin to match the TPP with the CQAs, with eventually the manufacturing critical process parameters that allow us to control that into commercial manufacturing. 
So it is an evolution for sure. It's an evolution. And, and I, I, I think that uh, somebody used the word iterative. It's an iterative process, right? In some ways, we have to keep looking at making the process uh, such that it doesn't build too many risks in the journey of making so many changes. So we also have to be cognizant of that. Yeah. And, and you know, at the OTAT virtual town hall just a few weeks ago, the agency's guidance to industry was to try to avoid just that, Rupa, because even they said that they're seeing a lot of sort of um, process changes that happen late in development that lead to a lot of these holds or having to you know, go back and reassess um, process or product performance characteristics. Is that, uh, that your, is that your experience as well? Yeah, I think, I think the challenge there is the, the industry is maturing, right? So, so we don't have the luxury of 30 years of development experience. We don't know, you know, which two chromatography columns are always going to be needed for an IgG1 or an IgG2. In many instances, we have small companies that are providing you know, single source materials that change based on market conditions, supply chain challenges. They're not robust companies that have hundreds of millions of dollars to invest in infrastructure and the like. So some of these changes are forced changes because of the lack of robust um, supply chain elements that exist for this modality. Uh, some of the changes are a bit more um, specific, right? So thinking about evolution of cost of goods for some of these really expensive programs, you have to make purposeful changes to impact the cost. You then have to figure out if that has an impact to your target product profile and your quality attributes. Um, I think Bruce brings a good point. And I think COVID-19 pandemic did not help us at all, right? I think it has caused a lot of bottlenecks and a lot of issues where now people have to look not just at their primary supplier of critical raw materials, but the supplier for that supplier. And therefore there have been a lot of changes. Uh, one other thing to add is depending on the type of therapy as, as Bruce had mentioned in, you know, a few minutes ago, depending on the cell type. So auto is a different game. Allo is a different game. Um, I think discipline is good. I think we do need the overall discipline to try to control the process to the extent, the manufacturing process to the extent that we can uh, to put the quality discipline around it. Uh, but sometimes changes are unavoidable. So to keep in mind that our goal is not to have so many changes that we are just implementing change control after change control after change control but to have the discipline early on, but also have the flexibility that if changes are needed, that we should be able to make them because ultimately we need the product to be safe and efficacious. Sure. We can expect changes, Rupa, but um, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on what are some of the key factors that can impact this target quality product. Uh, well, actually that just impacting target product quality in general during development. What are some of the key variables in your your view. So I would like to give a couple of examples and, and I'm sure Bruce can, can add to it too. So uh, I think the product starts with the starting material in cell therapy, right? It doesn't go through the same evolution as biologics does where you have a powder or a liquid at the end of the process. So starting material is very critical and 
quality of that starting material is very critical. Um, one of the challenges for cell therapy is when we do IND enabling studies, they are done using healthy donor material. Uh, the reality is when we start manufacturing in the clinical space, these are patients. They may have gone through multiple rounds of chemo. They may have had a combination therapy. They may have had a combination of chemo and radiation. They have comorbidities. This is real life. So the quality of the product is very much depending on the starting material because it's all the same. We're just taking a subpopulation of cells from this apheresis bag or cord blood or uh, bone marrow or mobilized blood, whatever that may be for autologous, it is the same cells. We're just taking a, a small sample. So I think that in cell therapy, we don't have the luxury of having pristine starting material that is always going to give us the results we need. We need to keep that in mind that healthy donor profile is very different than patient profile for cells. And, and I've seen a lot of uh, work done around it, a lot of, you know, where can we put standardization, maybe collection of apheresis, standardization, or, uh, you know, coming up with how do we always get X number of populations of very naive CD4 and CD8 cells in terms of CAR T or some type of therapies. Those are some of the areas that that if people focus on, then you know the journey might get easier. Uh, cryopreservation and non-cryopreservation uh, is another area where um, we have to understand. What changes cryopreservation may bring about to not just the viability of the cells, but also the, the potency, the behavior of cells once they are thawed and infused in patient. I think the other part of that is that we don't know all of the correlates of clinical e efficacy. And so the more we understand about the quality attributes of the product, the more we can look for correlates of clinical efficacy and then feed that back in an iterative fashion to development. And so we know a few things that seem to correlate with CAR-T efficacy. Uh, naiveness, to your point, uh, limited number of cell doublings, which probably impacts the differentiation state. Um, viability to a certain extent, although we have lots of examples where cells that didn't meet viability spec were dosed under compassionate use and resulted in efficacy in the patient. So some of these things are more guidelines than hard and fast rules. But that comes back to how much you understand your quality attributes and then how you apply them forward into the clinical trial. And, and you know, the new trends that people are speaking of, whether it is Novartis's T-Charge platform or some other companies who are focusing on using patients or they say humans as bioreactors rather than uh, expanding the cells in vitro they would like to have a very pristine, naive population by very limited two, three, five day expansion rather than the longer traditional expansion. I think that's going to change the quality uh, of the product and the attributes of the product because the the some of the problems were you keep the cells in vitro longer, they undergo senescence, apoptosis, their proliferative potential is reduced. And as a result, you need a larger dose. Then you cannot make the larger dose. And then you have a, a, another arm of the study to put those patients in. 
So I think there are manufacturers and innovators who are focusing on, um, you know, just changing that narrative and, and making sure that the quality of cells that goes in patients is better. And it can only be controlled by coming up with some clever ideas during the manufacturing journey. Well, as we start to wrap up this section on um, the QTPP, maybe, uh, and Rupa, you mentioned this earlier in one of your comments, I'd like to just come back to it to close out is how does that QTPP vary for an allogeneic cell therapy product versus an autologous product? And Bruce, maybe we'll start with you on that one. Yeah, I, I think this comes down to utilization, right? So when you think about uh, the patient setting, it's potentially the same if you're targeting a solid tumor. Uh, an allogeneic starting material is going to be different, healthy donor versus patient. So screening is going to be very different. So understanding some of the implications of adventitious uh, viral infection, the impact to the potential patient population, especially if you have a scenario where you have to lymphodeplete. So it's a different um, safety profile for sure. I think the next part is scale. So if you're moving into allogeneic, it's much likely to impact the cost of goods so you can make a number of doses from a healthy donor. So you're working at a much larger scale, which means you now have different unit operations for harvest, for wash, for formulation, and for cryopreservation. So that changes a number of your target product profile elements. The other thing, very good points, Bruce. The other thing is... um, you know, finding the right donors, right? So looking at um, HLA, RH, blood type, that is also going to determine the quality. And um, iPSCs is another example where people are using super donors because of their genetic profile and things like that. So allogenic, it's going to also have variety of, of different types of qualities to the starting material. A master cell bank and a working cell bank are very different logistically than starting with some material taken from a donor. Yeah, and the, the stage is set, right? So Allogene just recently announced the beginning of their phase two study. Yes. Um, groundbreaking allogeneic uh, T-cell therapy. Uh, a lot of potential. And yeah. A lot of eyes will be on that to see if it has the requisite durability, which has played the field so far. Well, that concludes the first of two podcast episodes conducted here in California during Meeting on the Mesa in cooperation with the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine. The second episode of our roundtable will cover best practices and application of many of the risk assessment and process characterization concepts outlined in A-Cell. You won't want to miss this episode. Contact me directly at chris at bblsconsulting.com if you have any questions about the content discussed in this podcast episode today. And let me know if you'd like a registration link to the live Q&A event on Friday, November 4th.